a few weeks ago, I asked my Instagram community if anyone had any questions for me about mindfulness or meditation. You guys, the number of responses that I received was absolutely staggering. And these responses were so broad, so broad and so varied in their range that um, honestly, I felt a little bit overwhelmed with where to actually begin the conversation here on the show. So on today's episode, episode number 19 of Show Up, I've enrolled the help of my wonderful COO, the marvelous Mrs. Macy. Not to be confused with the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, though both are equal in brains and wit and, um, and creativity and insight and um, tenacity and heart. I'm so blessed to have Macy on my team. Um, I brought Macy onto the Show Up team almost exactly three months ago now. And um, I can truly say without any kind of hesitation that I could not do even a fraction of what I have been doing without her endless wealth of support and expertise. She is absolutely phenomenal. And now without further ado, welcome to episode number 19, Mindful Moments, a conversation inspired by your questions and facilitated by the marvelous Mrs. Macy Robison. Like I can when you listen. Hi, this is Macy Bravis, and I'm here with Natalie, and I'm taking over a little bit today. We were looking at some of the questions that came in on Instagram, and a lot of them were around mindfulness, and I thought it would be really fun if I asked her the questions that you had sent in. So we might do this every once in a while, but we're just giving it a try. So welcome to your show, Natalie. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me on my show, Macy. <laughs> You're so welcome. Okay, so what we're going to do, we're talking about mindfulness, and you got a lot of questions. Some of them were about the principles behind it, why to do it, what it is, and then how to do it, like how to actually, like what does it look like in day-to-day life, and also what does it look like with kids. So we're going to start just talking a little bit about the principles of mindfulness. When you say, I need to be more mindful, I need to meditate, What's what does that mean to you? What's your definition of mindfulness? Well, in the most simple sense, in general, not just to me, but to everyone, the idea of mindfulness really, it comes down to paying attention, first of all, in the present moment, not to all the things that took took place in the past, not to all the things you're thinking about happening in the future, but to the present moment. Um, The idea is doing this non-judgmentally without having any kind of opinion, without having any kind of critical thought, just paying attention. As I have developed a greater mindfulness practice in my own life, and as I've worked with a lot of clients on making this a part of their day in and day out, um, one of the ways that I've found to help us remember that is to think of the idea of the letter P to the power of four. And that idea is paying attention, P, on purpose, P, in the present moment, P. And then the idea is non-judgmentally, which isn't a P. So if we think peacefully, um, then that's P, 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 P. Right? right? And so P to the power of four. And I think that that can help people really simplify it. Um, 
because one of the one of the greatest barriers to entry, and I think that the questions that we received about mindfulness really, really um, illustrates this well. Um, that that barrier to entry tends to be that um, people overcomplicate, meaning they think it has to be some big ceremonious thing. Yes. Or right, and and that's simply not the case. I can be mindful and meditative in this very moment, recording this very show, by simply being present, being very, very purposefully connected to what I'm doing, not trying to think ahead of what I'm going to say next or to anticipate what Macy might ask me next, right? Right. And not judging what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> right? Like, oh no. And yeah. and that's one of the hardest things about about a podcast um is that as you're speaking, you're there is the tendency to constantly have an opinion about what you're saying and wonder if you said it right or if you stuttered too much or if you're talking too fast or if you're talking too slow or if people or what are, are the bored. What are people listening to think of me? And are they bored? And are they turning Precisely. It off? Precisely. Mm-hmm. And so- I'm glad you explained yeah. that so well because that was something that came up a lot was what does present even mean? And I remember growing up, I played tennis and my dad, my dad did not play tennis, but he was an excellent coach. He coached football for years. And one of the things he always said to me was that you've got to have present focus. And I just got so mad at him one day and said, I don't even know what you're talking about, dad. And he <laughs> explained it kind of that way, that when you're when it's time to hit a tennis ball, you can't be thinking about the shot you just missed. You can't be celebrating the point being over. You've got to focus on the ball that's coming towards you right in that moment. Oh, and that's if you so don't, good. it's like being on a train. That This is the analogy he actually used, which I thought was great. You won't see what you're passing. You won't see what what's happening outside the window in the present moment. If you're looking down the track to see what's coming next, or you're just craning your neck trying to see what's behind you, you're missing everything as it's passing by. And, wow. and it feels like life is passing by really quickly sometimes. But mm. that idea of um, of not thinking of what's coming next, not thinking of what or judging what just happened, but just being where you are. And that's hard to do in a, in a world that's full of distractions. So... Um, I, I, can you talk about that a little bit more? Like how, yeah. how do you find those moments? Because another thing that came up is like, is mindfulness something you have to do all day or there are certain aspects of your life where you're more mindful? Like, are you walking out in a blissed out, um, like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> since you live in no, Hawaii, I, maybe, yeah, well, Hawaii. Like, maybe you're just doing yoga on the beach all day and you're amazing Okay. First, let me say that yoga on the beach is like my worst nightmare because sand gets in places sand does not belong. Second of all, second of all, it is windy at the beach and sand blows in your eyes throughout the entire yoga practice. So I'm just going to say that yoga on the beach is not my favorite activity. So that Um, doesn't feel like it would contribute to mindfulness anyway. No, well, it certainly wouldn't. It certainly wouldn't contribute to a state of inner peace or bliss as, (laughs) as you mentioned. Now, one of the things though, there's, there's a couple things that stood out in that question. First being, um, I just want to speak to that idea of being blissed out um, because in mindfulness, we really aren't necessarily seeking anything. It's not about mm. being happier. It's not about um, feeling a sense of joy or even bliss necessarily. The idea is simply being. And when I'm doing speaking engagements or um, or even sometimes in one-to-one consults or when I'm working with a business or anytime we... I'm discussing this in person. Um, What I have people do is make a fist 
and just hold that fist as tight as they can. Just clench it and just feel, you know, their fingernails jabbing into their hand and to feel the, the tension in their knuckles. And over time, there can be almost like a numbness and an ache that starts to develop. And I'll, and I'll have them hold this. And I hope listeners are doing this right now as they're listening, just holding yeah. that fist as tight as they can. And I'll continue talking. And, you know, telling a story or whatever it is that whatever it is that we're doing. And then every now and then say, okay, make sure that that fist is still there. You're still holding the fist, right? Okay. And then go on with the story a little while and then keep coming back to it. And I hope that listeners are doing the same thing. Still holding that fist, still holding that fist. And then I'll tell them to take a deep breath and open their hand and to feel the difference. And I want them to imagine using that hand while it's in a fist or using it even directly after that fist has been relaxed or released. And I bring that up because that's what's going on in our brains all the time. Mm -hmm. Our brains are in a constant flex. They're constantly holding on. And in mindfulness, it's not necessarily about seeking anything. It's about allowing the mind a chance to stop clenching its fists. Mm, right? Just to, yeah. right? Just to make a little bit of space and to be able to relax a little bit. And, and the reason, yes, is one of the very likely um, expectations that we can have. And I hate using that word expectation, but um, one of the results perhaps, and even that is hard when you're talking about mindfulness and meditation, but I'm, I'm going to try not to get lost in the woods there. And we can, we can go further into our, our discussions in a later episode as it relates to, to some of these things like expectations. But um, because I don't have a better word in this exact moment, yes, could a result of mindfulness and meditation be a greater amount of joy and happiness? Absolutely. May we start to sleep better at night? Totally. May we experience a decrease in stress overall in our lives? Absolutely. However, the process itself is not about seeking any result. It's simply about being present. And that is the beginning, the end. It is it is the purpose. It is the goal with no expectation, with no judgment. It's about the being. What present focus or present mindedness or mindfulness feels like and looks like in my life doesn't, isn't the same as in yours. Right? Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and to speak to what you said earlier about busyness, um, it, it is hard in, in a busy, in a busy world, but we have to remember that it's a practice. It's not about any kind of achievement. It's not about it looking a specific way. And so really, no one's off the hook. Whether you're busy and your life is crazy or not, you can take a deep breath and take a moment to feel um, the feeling of your shirt against the back of your neck. And just to key into that for just a second, to just feel your physical senses for a second. Anybody can do that. And that mm -hmm. right there is being present and mindful. And so whether there's there's madness and stress and it's not necessarily, yes, having a practice where you sit down and you breathe and you meditate in a very traditional, quote unquote, formal kind of way. Great. That's awesome. But I'm never going to even say that that's, that that's better or preferred as it relates to developing this sense of presence and mindfulness in your life. Um, because again and again and again, we've got to get to that word practice. That's yeah. always where we need to return. Even if you are developing a formal, 
quote unquote formal um, mindfulness practice, it is just that, it's a practice. And what are we practicing for? We're practicing for our lives. And the idea is having this kind of walking meditation, this walking presence that is that is with us at all times, this ability to key in and to be where we are. Um, that's the whole the whole end in mind, if we were to have an end in mind, is practicing for those stressful moments and for the day in and the day out. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's why I do like the word practice, even though that's another word that can lead us to think of some kind of grand goal. Like we practice piano so we can perform in the recital. But I think what you just said about um that the that the goal is just to be able to to have a choice, I guess. Like that that was what I was thinking of as you were talking, that I I don't need to get um lost in my life, I can choose yeah. to be present in it and grounded well, in it. It's interesting because Viktor Frankl wasn't necessarily um, a mindfulness instructor. Um, mm. I talk about Viktor quite, I, sh- I should say Dr. Frankl. I could say Victor as though we're like on a first name friend. basis. <laughs> but, you know, my top five books of my life, Man's Search for Meaning is definitely on that list. And I may even go so far as to say top three books, most influential books in my life. And I've mentioned him before on this podcast, but um, even he has the greatest quote that really, from a practical standpoint, helps me um, recognize that that choice that you mentioned. And um, he says something along the lines of between stimulus and response, um, there is a space, or I think that's the word he uses, there's a space. And in that space, we have the power to choose our response. It's in our response that lies growth and freedom. And yes. I think that that that's where choice comes in as it relates to mindfulness and to the practice component here, right? It's that right. idea of, of between stimulus and whatever it is that we're going to do in response, pausing and being present, just feeling our shirt on the back of our neck. Right, yes. metaphorically or literally, as the case may be. I love that. So how do you work on this with your kids? Is this something that you work on them with? Like we're kind of moving into practicing now. Like yeah. what does this look so, like in daily life? Gosh, that, I mean, it almost makes me want to have an episode just on um, on kids and mindfulness because the approach is, um, it, it's multifaceted. But I will say that, I haven't been the best, if we want to use that word, at um, formal practice with my children. For sure, there have been moments where we have, or, or small seasons where we have had more of a formal practice and where I've taught them techniques and where, you know, but I'm like any parent where I sit these teens and preteens down and I'm like, okay, we're going to learn this thing. And everything goes to hell in a handbasket because everyone's like, this is so stupid. You know, like, like, I think that we have this idea that some mom out there has this magical way of getting their kids to think all this stuff is cool. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that more, more, it has been in my own embodiment of, of this way of being and of incorporating this practice as a, as a constant pattern in my life and um, almost as a, a way, I'm going to go back to that word, a way of living, a way of existing, a way of being present in my life. Um, as I have done that, the the side effect, the beautiful, wonderful 
side effect of that is that anyone in my life will also be impacted, mm-hmm. right? So it's an interesting thing with our children because the greatest teacher will always be these informal moments and these opportunities to model things for them. And um, I've found that as I, it's almost like I narrate certain things for myself. And I've always been like that, even when my kids were babies. Like I was just, I just narrated things. And and I think that that's something that they they teach you actually in parenting classes, right? With little ones that you should just talk about what, what you're doing, right? Like we're putting on your socks and let's put on your onesie. And, you know, that's something that I've always done. And I actually have noticed that my mom does it recently. I, <laughs> I spent some time with her and I noticed that she just narrates like everything she does all day long. And I looked at and I went, oh, good heaven. Like, this is a learned behavior. <laughs> but the beautiful, beautiful gift that that, that, that weird little neuroses or, or quirk in my mom and I have, has given both of us is that I believe that my kids pick up on certain things. So, for example, if I'm feeling stressed, I may find myself saying, okay, hold on a second. I just need to take one deep breath because I'm feeling stressed. Right. And I'm not saying it to them. I'm just saying it to me. I'm saying it in the moment because I'm I'm being my friend and I'm coaching myself through a difficult moment. Right. But they're picking up on all of this. And um, this became really evident to me when um, Lincoln was hospitalized when after his accident. Um, And Lincoln at the time was 10 turning 11, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. I I can't remember because I'm losing my timelines. But um there were certain procedures that he had to go through that were incredibly painful. And there were lots of surgeries where he was able to be um, sedated, which was great. But sometimes for some of these little procedures, they didn't want to give him more sedation because his little body like couldn't handle any more sedation. And so um, he had to be awake and and find natural ways to, to cope with what I would consider to be considerable pain. And um, at one point, he said I'm just I'm just focusing on the bottom of my feet I'm just focusing all my energy on the bottom of my feet and that became a phrase that I will use often in my parenting ever since then because I've noticed that that's something that I have narrated throughout our lives is like hold on just for a second I want you just to feel what your feet feel like on the on the ground can you can you focus on that for just a second and it's kind of like that little pattern interrupt, right? Bringing them back to the present moment, allowing their nervous system to sort of settle so that then we can move forward into a new space with a new energy rather than whatever hyped up energy we're present with. And so hearing Lincoln articulate that in that way and seeing the way that he had developed the ability to really be mindful and present and um, to calm, self-soothe or calm himself during a really challenging moment or some very challenging moments, plural, um, was such great evidence of the fact that these things are being absorbed, right? right? And that with even out, without any kind of formal, like sitting down and having a little family meeting about this or, or doing a, a family meditation. And I will be honest, there was a period of time where I tried to get the family on board with doing like a quick little five minute group meditation every morning. It lasted like one and a half mornings before I realized that like it was not going to catch on. It was not going to pick up. It was not going to be a thing. And maybe as they're getting older, it's something that we will approach in a more formal way. But the reality is it's in the little quiet moments. And a lot of it has to do with 
what I choose to do and the way that I choose to respond, going back to that Viktor Frankl quote, between stimulus and response, right? right. Because they're always watching and, re and absorbing, just like me narrating my life, as I now know that I watched my mom do, <laughs> right? I love that. So I think that's a good answer to how do we help our kids? We we yeah. enact this stuff ourselves. So it sounds mm -hmm. like a lot of the questions that we got around doing um, were twofold. One of them was about tools. And we'll come to that in a second because um, I think you've got a lot of tools. And I think the tools you use depend on the job that needs to be done. And you don't need to treat mm -hmm. every problem like it's a nail um, when you only are, have one hammer, right? Like you've got to have a yeah. toolkit to deal with a lot of these things. But another thing that came up a lot um, was kind of a two-part question is that how do you know what, how do you know you're doing this right? And how do I keep from like getting distracted and feeling unfocused? I think that probably comes from the thinking that to be mindful, I have to sit down in um, lotus pose and, and be still mm -hmm. with my thoughts. Um, yeah. And then, so if that, I think we've kind of established that yeah. that's not the goal. Um, mm -hmm. But what what is a starting place, and how do you know when you're getting it, doing it okay. right? So first of all, that idea of um, not doing it right. Second, we've got the idea of distraction. Mm -hmm. And um, we have to remember that key in all of this is not being non-judgmental. And anytime we're going into a space of, oh, no, I must be doing this wrong, or I think I'm doing this right, we're in a space of judgment. Either we're judging ourselves and giving ourselves a gold star for, oh, my gosh, I'm doing this right, I'm amazing, or we're whacking ourselves over the side of the head saying, you're failing, you're doing this wrong, and both of those, you know, are... Um, are results of of judgment, which is really probably, I would say for beginners, the primary thing we've got to do away with. And it can be a real challenge because we're so programmed towards having opinions and judgments about everything in our lives, particularly about our own behaviors and our own thoughts. Right. Um, and so as we become less and less judgmental, it makes it easier to celebrate any moment where we are present, and on purpose, present, on purpose, um, non-judgmentally, paying attention, that that's enough, that, that, that that's all it is. And it can, be, it can be a moment in between stimulus and response. So um, let's go back for a minute to that word practice mm -hmm. because there's no end goal. There's not a box that we want to check within this process of mindfulness. It's really a continual practice of paying attention to whatever is happening in the moment that you're in. And so... We've got to throw away any notion of right and wrong. We've got to throw away any notion of, like you said, some enlightened sense of um, of transcendence, right? We're not going to like float up into some like magical cloud of of um, sparkles. It's it's just not what we're looking for. We need to dispel all of those ideas and expectations, and we need to realize that mindfulness is about being in the ordinary. Just being in the ordinary. Right. And 
when we're willing to be in the ordinary, we can realize that there really aren't even distractions. There's just awareness of whatever's going on. And so let's say that I struggle with my thoughts and that I feel as though, you know, people say you want to you be present and not have any thoughts and um, just breathe in and out, you know, and they get into their like soft little like meditative voice. And <laughs> I just want you to breathe in and breathe out. And, you know, don't think about anything. And you're sitting there thinking, the only thing I can think about right now is your freaking voice. Stop talking like a fool. <laughs> right? And then you're judging yourself. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm thinking. Why am I thinking? Oh, my gosh. Ah, I'm such an idiot. I'm thinking about thinking. I've got to stop thinking about thinking. And we get into this whole cycle, right? And it becomes like this downward spiral into chaos. Um, but we have to realize that it's the ordinary. And that when we think and we're aware that we're thinking, we're being mindful. It's the thinking that we're not aware of that we need to be worried about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not worried about, but that's what we're trying to avoid. Right. So what happens when you're sitting and a thought comes in your mind, great, welcome to the club. Like that's such a normal thing for anyone, even the most quote unquote advanced in this practice of mindfulness and meditation are going to experience that. And when you notice and you're present and you're paying attention on purpose to the fact that you had a thought, Guess what? You're being mindful. Isn't that amazing? And there's there's actually um, a technique, let's call it that, um, that this seems like a really good time to introduce. It's called noting. And so let's say that I am formally sitting and I am taking a deep breath and I am trying to, trying to quiet my mind and have a really formal experience with a mindfulness practice mm -hmm. and a thought comes into my mind. What you can do is note it which basically notice it and simply say thinking. You don't have to have a feeling about the thought. You don't have to follow the thought down the runway, right? You can just notice it and say, oh, thinking. And then maybe one second later, you hear like a big bang from the other room and your husband's out there with your kids so you don't freak out. You know that like everything's fine, it's being taken care of, but you do notice and it does, you know, pull your attention there. Rather than feeling frustrated, like, oh, this distraction, this is so annoying, I can't believe this is happening. You can notice it, you can note it and say, oh, sound, hearing, hearing. And then maybe another thought comes into your mind. Oh, thinking, just noticing what's happening. And then, even our distractions can play in to the mindfulness practice. Right. They become a part of everything because guess what? That is life. If we sat down in this quiet, like, like, I, I always think of like float tanks, like those deprivation, like sensory deprivation chambers that people go yes. into. I think that they think that like, oh, if I could just be in that space, I think I could do this. Well, that's awesome. But then how in the world would you ever learn to incorporate what you experience there into your life? Is there a place for that kind of sensory deprivation? Sure. I bet it's really good for us. But is it developing a skill that's going to help us in our day in and day out? Maybe on some level, but certainly not at the level of learning to be present with these things without judgment as they're actually unfolding and not seeing distraction as distracting, but rather seeing it as, I don't know, an extra bicep curl, right? right. Like at the gym. Right. Well, and I thought, you know, instead of me thinking I had to get up and, you know, breathe and write in my journal as one tool, which is a great valid tool, one thing I could do and try is standing in a line and not pulling my phone out immediately. 
but just being where yeah. I am and feeling my feet, like yeah. you said, and and noting what's around me and being present in that you moment. You know, a really, really good pr- place to practice this is actually while driving mm-hmm. because it's just good in general, <laughs> but to be really present and um, pay attention to what you're doing. But I, um, how many of us have driven, let's say, from our house to go pick up our kids somewhere and get to where we're going and realize that we don't even remember the drive. Like, we truly don't remember. Suddenly, we're just there, right? Like, did we ever turn onto this street? Did we ever, like, how did how did we do this? Because we are lost in thought the entire time. And because driving is something that most of us have done for so many years, um, it's not something that we necessarily have to think about. We can really get into a space of autopilot and just let ourselves, like, our brains go wherever they want to go. And a really great opportunity to practice mindfulness is as you are going through that process of driving. And and the first thing I will do is I will feel what the steering wheel feels like in my hands. And I'll just focus on that. And it's amazing how even that can bring us to the present moment and allow our minds to sort of release and relax and our nervous systems to calm. And I would really challenge anybody who's listening to this to have your next drive be a mindful drive. Maybe it's just five minutes or two minutes even where you're noticing what your hands feel like. You're noticing the way the seatbelt feels against your chest. You're noticing the way that the seat meets the back of your leg and what that feels like. And maybe your your kid starts to cry in the back seat and you notice, oh, sound, right? And then you say, hey, I love you. And you notice those words coming out of your mouth, you feel the way that your mouth forms around each word. You hear the sound of those words. You feel the feeling that rises in your chest when you tell your child that you love them, right? You feel the sun on your face through the windshield. All of these things, this is one of the greatest ways for us to start to practice mindfulness and maybe for us to bridge the gap between the informal and the formal because we're strapped in, right? We're, we're sitting down, we're in this space and we can actually create that time every day if we choose, you know what, whenever I'm driving for the next week, I'm gonna practice this. And I'm even gonna put like a little post-it note on my steering wheel that says, hey, drive mindfully, right? Um, it can be a really, really good place to begin. Yeah, just that pattern interrupt. And I, you know, there's nothing wrong with autopilot. You don't need to do this every single time you drive somewhere, but just no, to commit to no. do it one of your drives or um like I heard you talking about how you and Richie um committed to take the kids to school all together as a family. That's a yeah. great time to be mindful and be present and pay attention to what's going on instead of worrying about the podcast or or you know mm-hmm. not yeah, just being lost in thought. Yeah, well, I think that one of the greatest sources of stress that we have in our lives as as mothers, um, whether we're working moms or we're moms who work at being moms, um, there's always so many things mm-hmm. on our plates and on our minds. And um, I think that one of the greatest sources of stress is worrying about the things we're not doing while we're doing whatever we're doing. Yes. Um and we have all this judgment about how, you know, right now I'm sitting watching Netflix. I should be. Mm-hmm. And then we give ourselves some big laundry list of things that we should be doing. One of the things on that laundry list probably being laundry, <laughs> right? In the literal sense. Um, but as we're being mindful, we're able to let go of guilt, let go of shame, let go of worry about the use of our present attention and time and allow ourselves to be in that present moment invested in exactly what we're doing while we're doing it and just releasing that judgment and that worry and that stress and 
letting that um, constant spinning of I, I call it buffering of the brain. Like, right, our brains are constantly buffering or they're constantly, it's like a hard drive that's constantly mm-hmm. spinning. And, um, you know, a quick a quick story about that. Back in my photography years, I had a, an external hard drive that I plugged in and I would, you know, drag and drop clients' files onto that as a backup and, you know, different things. And one time I left it plugged in and for whatever reason, that hard drive didn't stop spinning. Um, you know how usually they, they, they fire up and then they, they sit quietly, yeah. right? Like they kind of pause. Well, for whatever reason, and it didn't stop spinning and I left and I came back a few hours later and that hard drive was completely fried it had just kept spinning and it completely burned itself out and which meant all the data on there was was lost I was able to recover it but it was it was a mess it was really hard and I had to take it in I had to pay a bunch of money and and let's compare that for a second to our brains and the whole process like the constant spinning the the constantly being plugged in and feeling as though everything needs to be on high alert at all times, right? And how even when we're quote unquote relaxing, those things are still spinning. And a lot of times our relaxing actually looks like avoiding, which means that we're not actually relaxing. We're just trying not to feel what we are feeling in every other moment, which is stress. And the way that that taxes us. And then all once we finally hit our breaking point where we have a meltdown or we yell at our kids or we fight with our husband, or maybe we have an actual like physical burnout where we experience illness or right, then think of all the time and energy it takes to build things back up, whether it's repair the relationship or build our health back up or right, we, we will go until we are forced to yeah. stop just like that, that hard drive did. But what if millions of times throughout our day with one breath at a time, one second, like you were saying, you know, it doesn't have to be every drive. You're right. It doesn't have to be every drive. But what if it was every time you got in the car, that was your reminder. That was like the the trigger or the the bell that rang and said, hey, take a second. And you didn't be, you don't have to be mindful the whole drive, but every time you got in the car, you took one breath and focused only on that breath. That could really change your it life. It really could. I love it. Um, for those who still are maybe saying, like, I do, okay, I understand it. I know what you're saying. But what is it, like, I think the drive idea is a yeah. really good tool. Uh, like a tactical okay, let me give you some practical. That, yes, like, so what are some yeah. other practical things that you've, you've, not instructed, but that you've guided yeah. clients toward or that you've tried yourself um, to get yourself in that space. Because a practice, the okay. thing that, you know, I, I when I talk to my son about practicing the piano or I talk to voice students about practicing, the reason you practice is you're memorizing what something feels like. And you're doing it over and yeah. over again until you've memorized what it feels like so that you know that, like your body knows what you to know what, do. So- it's so interesting. Um, I I don't play the piano well, but I did take lessons for many years. And there's this one warm up drill that my less that my my teacher always had me do. And I only took lessons for maybe a year, maybe two, but probably not. I don't know. Um, but to this day, sometimes I will find myself going through that little practice warm up drill, just like on the desk or on my thigh or like my fingers, just one, one, two, one, one, two, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, three, two, one. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? I literally started doing <laughs> it with you. Because, yeah. Right. Like, and I can just, I can just do it like, and I can just speed right through it with both hands. And it is just such an ingrained part of, um, 
of my muscle memory. And that is what has happened with, with mindfulness practice. It's just become an ingrained part of the day in and day out of my life. And, um, I get that, that it's, that it's hard to grasp. So let me give you a few practical ways that this can be implemented in the beginning. And over time, (laughs) yes, let's give you, let's give you guys some more ups. And the thing is, is that over time, we just have to be open to this looking a lot of different ways. And the number one thing that matters so, so much to me is that no one listening to this thinks it has to look any way that even as they hear these practical tips, they don't think like, oh, well, if I'm not doing it that way, I'm not doing it right. There is not a right, right. There's just not a right. There's not a wrong. It's just being present on purpose, without judgment, right? That's that's what we're coming down to, paying attention mm-hmm. on purpose, without judgment, all the live long day. Okay, so the first thing I would say is be willing to start small. Um, I think that a lot of us have this idea of needing like a 20-minute session where we're, where we're sitting on a meditation pillow and um, we're breathing mm-hmm. in and out and we're not thinking at all. And what if we were to say, you know what, I'm going to sit for two minutes or even 60 seconds each day and um, just focus on nothing more or less than the way that the air feels as I breathe in and out of my nose, the way that it feels against my nostrils or the warmth that it that it casts on my upper lip. Um, maybe 60 seconds of that. That is something so practical and any one of us can create a 60 second mm-hmm. pause at some point in our day. We really, we can schedule that in. One of the things that I recommend to my clients when I'm working one-on-one is that they set a breathing reminder on their phone that goes off you know, anywhere between three and five times a day and just reminds them three deep breaths. So it's not even about a 60 second time frame. It's about taking three deep breaths incrementally throughout the day. And it's such a silly thing. And it seems like, oh gosh, that could not possibly make a difference. Um, But it is shocking. Even to me, it is shocking how completely that simple practice enriches these people's lives. Like even as I've seen it happen a gazillion times as people come back to me and say, oh my gosh, Natalie, that was revolutionary. I still feel surprised, which the fact that I'm surprised is starting to surprise me because at this point I should just expect it, right? Um, the second the second practical piece of advice that I would give you is, it's practical, but it also, um, it's a little bit less tangible. But let go of expectations. That that has got to be paramount in what you're doing because there again, it, it it's not about totally becoming Zen. It's not about like finding some perfect, um, perfectly mindful moment, but it's about not having any kind of judgment. Um, another another practical tip would be, then um, this is something that works really really well for kids. Lay down on the floor and put a stuffed animal, like a little stuffed animal, a little plush toy on your chest, a little plush toy on your stomach, and take some deep breaths. And just notice which plush toy is moving. Is it your chest? Is it the one on your chest? Is it the one on your stomach? And can you focus on breathing slow and smooth, deep breaths that cause the plush toy on your stomach to move up and down? Because that's where our deepest breathing comes from. That's a really, really great practical way to start to implement mindfulness and to introduce it to our kids. So I'm going to give you two more practical tips. Um, Being in nature is one of the best ways to be present and to be mindful. Um, Generally, well, at least a part of that is because we're generally unplugged in some 
in some way, like our phones in our back pocket maybe. Um, but usually we're not like out hiking while simultaneously surfing the internet, right? Um, but also there's smells, there's sounds. It's a complete pattern interrupt. There aren't as many distractions. And in the beginning, when I was working to incorporate these things into my life, I found being in nature a really, really great tool. And it was something that I worked to do every single day, was to find time to be in nature. And um, if if the formality is hard, but you really do want to start to incorporate this in a more formal way, but the sitting kind of formality isn't working for you, a really, really great um, practice is just going for a hike or going for a walk, even for just five or 10 minutes and focusing on your senses. What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you, what do you taste? Um, what, what, what are our five oh, what do you see? <laughs> There's more senses than this. I know that there are. But um, as any time that we focus in on our five senses, our senses are things that we can only experience in the present moment. Think about that. You can't experience seeing something in the past. You can remember it, but you can't see it in the past, right? You can't feel something in the past or in the future. You can only feel it right now. And so any time that you key into the present moment with the five senses, you really are being present on purpose, Mm -hmm. right? And so... That would be another another recommendation would be getting in nature and or focusing on your five senses, one or all of your five senses, maybe one at a time. Maybe you go through each one and notice what do I smell? What do I hear? What do I see? What do I taste? What do I That's feel? That's really good right? advice for kids too. Like that would be a really good way yep. to model that for kids. Um, yeah. I remember um, uh, my friend Brooke would talk about when she makes cookies with her daughters, she and her mom had this habit of stopping to smell the vanilla. Oh, doesn't that smell wonderful? And she did that with Mm -hmm. her little girls and didn't realize what a habit it had become and how much it centered all of them in that experience until one time she forgot to do it. And her little, I think she was five at the time, little girl said, mom, we didn't smell the vanilla. We have to smell the vanilla when we're making Mm -hmm. cookies. And it had become part of that. You know, that's, that's truly one of the reasons that I believe that essential oils mm. are such a benefit. Um, I I don't really have a whole lot of opinions one way or another about about essential oils other than this. Um, I find that, especially for kids, if you're working on developing mindfulness, incorporating a diffuser in your home or using essential oils like to rub on their bodies or whatever is a really, really great tool because the sense of smell um, can pull them so quickly into a new space because they're noticing something. Again, that idea of pattern mm-hmm. interrupt. And this world is just so busy. Our minds are constantly pulled from here to there and up and down and all around. And our thoughts and our emotions become so scattered that that we're feeling stress, but in an intangible kind of way. We don't always even know. It's just this undercurrent of stress that doesn't necessarily always plug into something. And sometimes it does, but um, that... Our kids are in a are in a similar state as us. And anytime we can give them an opportunity to find a way to be here and to connect with their senses, it, it, it's gonna be such a gift to them because it allows, again, all those muscles to kind of relax and smell, 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 smell is just such a great way to oh, do that's that. That's so good. So um the final thing that I would say um as as a tip like a practical way, a tool would be, um, I know that a lot of us have different kinds of feelings about the idea of a mantra, (laughs) but 
if you're having a hard time being present and just settling the mind and focusing on um, on purpose in the present moment, reciting a mantra over and over again, either out loud or in your mind, can be a really great tool. Um, it gives you a place to sort of focus your gaze, your internal or your external gaze, right? And so maybe that that mantra is um, every day in every way I'm getting better and better. Or maybe that mantra is um, I release my stress and trust that all things are combining together for the highest good of all involved. Um, and then these are just things I'm coming up with off the cuff, but you get the you get the concept. It's it's the same idea of saying "Om" right, right in in meditation, or the reason that people chant um, that idea, and and one of the reasons. I I don't want to like cast the net so wide and say that's the only reason because there's a lot that goes into all of that. And there's a lot of reasons behind it all, but one of the reasons and one of the benefits is the blessing of being able to have something to focus on and to be present with, and um, that would be another really great tool to help to help you um, start to incorporate this. And every time throughout the day, even if you're not just sitting and repeating this mantra over and over and over again, anytime you repeat it, even once mindfully and focusing on each word, you're having a mindful moment. And that's what this comes down to. In the beginning, the greatest gift you can give yourself is to start incorporating mindful moments without judgment, without some kind of expectation about what it should look like or how many minutes it should be or how many breaths it should be, just finding moments to be fully present on purpose without any kind of judgment. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. So I we're going to make um, those five points, we'll put them in a checklist for you to download in the show notes so that you can start to um, bring this as a practice into your life. You have a place to start um, and have some ideas around it. Um, so that will serve you in your life. Hopefully. So really, I hope that the takeaway for people here from this episode is um, how important it is to find mindful moments. And that, yes, at some point we can talk about about some more formal options and we can develop some kind of structure around this. But ultimately and forever, what what matters is finding these mindful moments in in the in between, right? In the space between stimulus and response, making that choice to be present. Um, and again, let's talk about P to the power of four, paying attention on purpose in the present moment, peacefully or non-judgmentally. And I can promise you that if you incorporate that even just a few times within the space of a week, you'll start to notice a difference in the rhythm of your thinking and the rhythm of your being and your ability to have a more grounded and peaceful and um, purposeful response in that space between stimulus and response. And um, I'm just really excited to hear how this practice um, benefits you, even through the most simple implementation that you can find. I can promise you that um, that the results will be will be profound. I know that it will too. And so we'll we'll have that checklist available in the show notes. And and I would love it just as a um so that we can we can know if if you are doing it and if it is helping. Um if you can 
you know, let us know what you're doing. Take a screenshot when you get done or tag Natalie or um, it's at Natalie Norton on Instagram and, and just let us know. Let's keep this conversation going because I think this is an ongoing yeah. thing that we can revisit and, and look at in some future episodes as well. I would, I would really love um, to incentivize all of you um, as you're working through this and as you are posting on social media um, your experience with implementing uh, mindful moments in your life. Um, if you will tag me and you use the hashtag show up on purpose, love it. hashtag, hashtag show up on purpose. Um, if you'll use that hashtag and you will tag me either in your feed or on your stories, I will put together a really great mindfulness kind of happy mail for you with some of my very favorite books and resources. And um, one lucky social media sharer will receive that in the mail. Um, and we will announce that here on the show, whoever it is that wins. But um, I would really, really love to incentivize you guys in that way and to um, also just be able to support you and um, cheer you on and um, have a greater sense of community in this process. Um, because ultimately, that's what it's all about. It's about being able to be more present in the connections that we make. Because once all said and done, it's these relationships in our lives that, that matter the very most. And I'm just so thankful for the relationships that I am able to build through this show and through social media with each and every one of you. You are just such a profound gift in my life and I'm so grateful. And you too, Miss Macy. I don't know what well, I would do without you. thank you for letting me be in charge for a minute and take over. We'll, we'll turn it back to you for the outro and we'll see you next week. Once again, my friends, thank you so very much for listening to today's show. Be sure to visit letsshowup.com to find the show notes from this episode and to download your free mindfulness checklist that is designed to help you more easily integrate the mindfulness tips and takeaways from today's episode. And remember, I've got a special gift prepared for one lucky listener who shares to Instagram this week, tagging me at Natalie Norton and using the hashtag show up on purpose show up on purpose let us know how it is that you are working in your own life to incorporate mindfulness again make sure you tag me at natalie norton and use that hashtag show up on purpose in order to be entered to win thank you for listening and as always i love you i believe in you your best is always 100% of the time enough. Now, go show up and make it a great